us grown inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons. For this, for in this hope we are saved. Do you think about one day in eternity as believers that we will be glorified and will be different? God is in a process now of working in our lives. Hmm. It's a sense that Paul here is just praying that God would enlighten them to the magnificent truths of election, adoption, redemption, forgiveness of sin, the sealing of the Spirit. We go through life sometimes and we, as believers, we forget about God and who he is, his love for us. George Mueller is someone I think many of us will know about. God used him to care for over 10,000 orphans. Of course, we know that he never asked anyone or none of his people working with him ever asked for any help in caring for these orphans. But rather, he prayed and his staff prayed that God would provide. But what I love is I read about him. He stated that though he took great joy in caring for the orphans, that's not why he did it. That's not why he did it. You see, he noticed all these groups of people around him who weren't trusting God, who didn't have hope. And he says, I want to give them proof. I want to give them proof that God is the God of the Bible. He mentioned two or three groups. He mentioned first those who feared growing old and not having a place to live. Some of us are getting older here. We're not ready to pass on, hopefully. I admit, there are times I think, boy, when I get older, will I have the funds to care for myself and Chris? It's a real issue, isn't it, in this world today? Talking with, with a couple of people this week, as we look at the city and the, the police department, where they're talking about and messing with retirement plans. Mueller says, I long to set something before the children of God where they might see that he does not forsake those who rely on him. As Mueller looked around, he saw Christians in business who were, were doing business like non-believers. And they would say to him, you can't run a business on biblical uh, foundations. You can't. You've got to do it otherwise. He wanted to prove otherwise. And then he looked around and he saw those in professions that were unscriptural. And he saw those also who were in good professions, but because of supervisors, there was this conscious thing where they needed to move on, but they were afraid to because they didn't know what they were going to do if they, if they left their jobs. And again, he wanted to give them proof. Mueller wanted the believers to know the hope of the calling that, yes, there was eternity before them, but also that in the midst of this time on earth, that he would care for their needs. Just a question for you. Are you in one of these groups? Are you fearing growing old? You're not having a place to live? Are you in business? 
and think, you know, I can't really do this and succeed in business. But do you just find yourself needing to change professions today? Mueller proved that God is a God whom we can trust into eternity. First, Paul wants us to know the hope of God's calling. He called us in the, wor- in the world here to be holy. And we're sealed, and that one day in glory, we'll be with him. Secondly, Paul prays that Ephesians will understand what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Some, some commentators would, would see this as God's provision for us along the way. Providence, his promises um, that we can claim. As we go through experiences and trials that God is with us, we don't have to despair. And, and we, do, we, we, we do have all the spiritual blessings that, that Paul goes over earlier in the, in, the, in the chapter. But this passage is talking about the fact that we as believers... Or God's inheritance. We are God's inheritance. F.F. Bruce says, Paul prays here that his readers will appreciate the value of, that God places on them. His plan to accomplish his eternal purposes through them. I think it's easy for us to go through life and we're so caught up in the stress of life. Stress of making money to pay the, the rent or caring for our kids who may be struggling along the way. And we fail to remember that that God has called us to be holy. And that he is using us to implement his plan. Kent Hughes says, think of it. He owns all of heaven and numberless worlds, but we are his treasures. You are his treasure. I am his treasure. The redeemed are worth more than the universe. We ought to be delirious with this truth. Paul prays that we would see this with our eyes heart. God rejoices over us. Sometimes in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our struggle to walk with God, our failures, we don't think that God could rejoice over us. And yet, he does. We are his rich inheritance. We're his rich inheritance. We're his possession. He cherishes us. Our confidence should be in him because he's chosen us. First, Paul wants us to know the hope of our calling. Secondly, he wants us to know that we're his glorious inheritance. Think about it. We, we often hear and read about these multimillionaires who die and leave their funds behind, or sometimes maybe they don't leave their funds behind. But we look and we think, ah, oh, that's millions, millions. And God of the universe says that you and I are his inheritance. Paul wants us to know that. But third, Paul said that he wanted God to give the Ephesians an understanding of his great power. Verses 19 through 21. 
what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. Paul uses three or four synonyms here to communicate that awesome power of God. The word power, that the root word, is we use dynamite. And the word working is energizing. Where is God energizing us? Strength is ability to conquer. The Ephesians come to Christ, were converted to, to Christ out of a background of magic and astrology and things like that, medicine men. And for them, God's power was important. They'd used spells and formulas, magical symbols, and performed certain rituals to gain access to spiritual power. And they want to know, was God's power enough? And Paul says, definitely, definitely. Paul wanted the Ephesians to know that God's power was more greater than, than anything conceivable. And the implication for the believers was they can get rid of the healers, they can get rid of the medicine men, they can get rid of the uh, performance of certain rituals. We can rely on God. Same thing today for us. We can put our faith and trust in Him. In magic, people often sought the magic power or spiritual power as a means of influencing and controlling. We've heard stories where medicine men hold sway over whole towns. And yet Paul stresses the fact that our spiritual power is not to harm or to control others, but is to be for their benefit, to be to express love. God wants us to know the incredible power of God that's available to us. How powerful is God? He gives three illustrations. The first one is the power that he worked when he raised Christ from the dead. The power when he raised Christ from the dead. That's awesome power. Looking around here, I know that not everybody, but there are many of us here who have lost loved ones. And whether they were cremated or whether they were in a casket, we face that. And if you haven't faced it, you will. I remember my brother, Steve, the first in my family that died, and then my sister, Kathy, and then my father, and then my mother. And it's hard to see somebody that you love lying in a casket. But as we go to a funeral, if we go to a wake, as believers, we can know that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will one day raise believers from the dead. So one day I look forward to seeing those family members because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing to hang on to and to hold on to. First, uh, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
just a reminder, we have God's power, that power that raised Christ from the dead. It's available, yes, in eternity. We're risen, we're, we're risen with Christ. But it's available for us today. That power that raised Christ from the dead is available for you and for me to walk with God today. Second illustration of God's power is his power to place Christ on the throne as sovereign, subjecting all spiritual powers unto him. Verses 20 and 21, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not just in this age, but in one to come. After raising Christ, it says that that God placed him at his right hand, which is a place of sovereignty. Psalm 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In the midst of life, with its ups and downs, we have Christ seated at God's right hand, that, that position of authority, interceding for us, do you think about that? As you go through struggles in life, he's sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us. As God placed Christ in the seat of, of power and authority, he also subjected all spiritual powers under him. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, I mentioned earlier that the, a lot of the Christians in Ephesus came out of this background of magic. And as I thought about our own congregation, it's different. You know, there's that undercurrent of, of false power that we see. I grew up down south, as most of you know, and being from, my family being from England and from Ireland, you have the history of the Druids. And underlying things in the south is that whole thing of magic and powers. I remember my dad telling me one time that a friend of the family could levitate, could raise a table off the floor. And she asked that question. She said the guy didn't like to do it because he knew it was bad. We don't think about that when we think of the South. We think Bible Belt. And then here, within the Puerto Rican culture, with the Santeria, or maybe take Haiti with the Voodoo, or New Orleans with a mixture of so much. Many of us have grown up in homes where we have experienced, we have seen, this type of thing. Or we've at least heard about it. And God wants us to know that he is far greater than any of these. He wants us to trust him. I still remember Chris and I, as we travel down south once a, uh, a year in the summer, we usually head down to Louisiana first. And then we head over to Alabama and and between there is New Orleans, kind of a little bit out of the way. We used to go by there and have a cup of coffee at Cafe Dumont, along with some French beignets. 
and we'd take a walk, a stroll through uh, the park there downtown. One year, as we strolled through the park, there were psychics, there were tarot card readers, there were all these various things. We didn't say anything then, but we got in the car and got out. And we sensed such a burden released because the oppression was tremendous there in New Orleans. And for years, we didn't go back. This past summer, we went and had a cup of coffee at, a couple of cups of coffee at Café Dumont, along with some beignets. We enjoyed it. We didn't sense that, pres that, that presence like we did before. But we live. We live in a world where there are spiritual beings that influence and have power. But God wants us to know that he is far stronger than any of these. Bill Platt, in his book, Radical, met a student in Indonesia at a seminary. And he says that this guy, uh, with a fiery look in his eyes and an intense tone in his voice, said, before I became a Christian, I was a fighter. I learned ninja, I learned jujitsu, I learned a variety of other things. And he, and he continues, he says, one day I was sharing the gospel in an unreached village with people who had never heard about Jesus Christ. I was in the house with a family sharing Christ, and a witch doctor came up. He wanted to fight. He wanted to confront. The witch doctor called him out, and he said, my first thought was to go out there and to put this guy down. In other words, he was going to fight. But he was walking out. He said, the Spirit of God said, you don't do the fighting. I'll do the fighting. He went out, took a chair, put it in front of the, the witch doctor. And he told him, he says, I don't fight. My God fights for me. And then this witch doctor grasped for error as he tried to speak. And he died. The seminary student then shared the gospel, and many came to Christ. We live in a world. We live in a world that's filled with these spiritual powers. But they don't compare to our God. The story reminds us that the name of Jesus Christ was powerful when proclaimed 2,000 years ago. It caused blind to see and the lame to walk and the dead to rise. The name of Jesus had the power to cause evil spirits to flee and to bring even the most hardened hearts to Christ. And you see, today, the name of Jesus Christ is still able to bring the most hardened of hearts to himself. And when his name is mentioned, and when we come under the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we yield to God, these spirits have no power in our lives. First Peter says, be sober, sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. 
someone to destroy. And James 4 says, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee. Well, the third way that Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they might know the power of God is that his power is evident in the making of Christ the head of the church. Christ is head of the church. It says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When we think of head, Christ being the head of the church, the, the body of Christ, the believers being his body, head, we think, you know, represents leadership, it represents authority, but it's also the provider, it's the supplier. We take our food in through our mouth, through our head. The head also is the command and supply center for the body. So what does this mean for us? MacArthur says that since the church is redeemed by Christ, his power will be used on our behalf to fulfill his loving plan for them. He is completely over us and completely in us, our supreme Lord and supreme power. The point of this prayer request is that we might understand how secure we are as believers. How unwavering, how absolute is our hope of eternal inheritance. God's Spirit works in us presently, and he will bring us to glory through his power. He wants us to know God intimately. Well, first, Paul wants us to know God, but he wants us to know the hope, the hope that we have. In the midst of a life, where there's despair in the midst of life's trials and struggles God wants us to have a strong sense of the security that he calls us into a relationship with him that he will care for us and there's no reason for despair or hopelessness because we are in Christ and we are sealed with his spirit and secondly he wants us to know that we're his glorious inheritance. He wants us to appreciate our value, which God places on us, and appreciate the fact that his plan will be accomplished through us. Sometimes we don't see that. I still think back 29 years ago when I married Chris and how she helped me so much to see who I was because I'd been beaten down in different ways and allowed a sin in my life as I dealt with that to affect me. And I didn't see any value in my life. Well, I knew I was a believer. I, I knew that, that God loved me. But Chris helped me to see things that I didn't see. Sometimes I know that in the midst of life now, and I know because I've talked with some of you, in the midst of life, we get 
beaten down. We get battered down. And we think, if I fail God one more time, I might as well just give up. But God, God values each of us. He called us. First he chose us and then he called us. He adopted us as sons. His spirit lives within us. He has a purpose and plan for our lives. We're valuable. Not because of what the world says. We're valuable because we are in Christ. Don't let the world tell you who you are. Don't let the world tell you you've got to look a certain way. You've got to dress a certain way. Be the man or woman that God wants you to be. We hear all these stories, these, these lines on the radio and on TV and in movies. God says there's another way. You're valuable. I was listening to Moody Radio the other day. A lady works with young teenage girls, and she talked about how that too often most of them think they have to give in and have sex with their boyfriends. They have no, they have no understanding they can do otherwise. They don't see their value as being otherwise. God wants us to know today that we're valuable. He has a purpose and plan for our lives. And he will carry it out to the day of completion. And we have no idea what we will be like when we're in eternity, glory with God. Or third, he wants us to have an understanding of his great power. This awesome power is available to believers. The power that raised Christ from the dead. The power that enthroned him on the seat of sovereignty. The power that placed all spiritual powers underneath him. And then the power that made him head of the church. Again, using MacArthur's words, I think it was, he is completely over us. He is completely in us. He is our supreme Lord and our power. Well, just prior to World War II, a town in Texas called Atasca had a big fire in a school building. 263 kids died in that fire. Almost every family was affected. World War II started right after that, and so through all those years, there was no school building replaced. But after the war, the town began to grow, and they built a new school building 
which featured what was called the finest sprinkler system in the world. And honest students took the citizens through the building showing them this fine system. People would visit and they would show them. Well, the town began to grow and they added a wing on to the school because they needed more space. And this wonderful sprinkler system, this finest sprinkler system in the world that technology could supply and money could buy had never been connected. Had never been connected. This wonderful top of the line system was not connected. The question is, and this is an incredible story, as an illustration of our own lives. We have had access the power of God. He lives within us. He wants you and me to know the hope of our calling. He wants us to know the riches of his inheritance, that it's us that we're valuable. He wants us to know this incredible power that lives within us. And yet, somehow, some of us have not connected just like that sprinkler system. For seven years, seven years, that sprinkler system, top of the line, all you could ask for, not connected. We, each of us, have access to the power of God. And too often, we live our lives unconnected, sometimes in despair, sometimes feeling hopeless, certainly not having an impact. Are you hooked up? Are you hooked up? Am I? I want to encourage you to go back this week to look at this passage and pray. Pray it. And say, God, I want to know you. I want to know you. And Lord, as I go through these tough times, this, these questionable situations I'm in, I want to know you. I want you, Lord, to use this in my life so I can know you. I want to know the hope of my calling. I want to know, God, that I'm valuable to you. Lord, I need your power. Help me to trust you. Well, just as Chris and I learned each other over the last 29 years, I went from Northern Facts to Northern Kinda I'm still getting to know her. God wants you and me to know him. And today, there are some probably in here who know facts. And facts don't put us in a relationship with the Lord. Facts can leave us out 
out of the body of Christ. We need a personal relationship. We move from those facts to trusting Christ, being in a relationship. God wants to use what we go through in life to grow us in our faith. And just as Chris and I learned to trust each other over these years, God wants us to grow in our relationship with God in such a way that's that deep intimacy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, there's so much in this passage. Lord, we we desperately need you in our lives. And Father, you want us to know you. And Father, I ask that we as a congregation, Father, and that we as individuals, Lord, that you work in our lives so that we would know the hope of the glory. The hope you called us to, Father. Lord, that we walk with you and trust you and rest in you. Lord, just have that intimate relationship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time, if the prayer councils will come up.